0: The following sermon is brought to you by thepreachersvault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. We have come with open hearts, oh let the ancient words impart. Good morning, go ahead and take your Bibles and open with them the book of Hebrews. When you get there, go to Hebrews chapter 10. That's Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to be examining the context from Hebrews 10 verse 38 through chapter 12 and verse 2 Hebrews 10 verse 38 and chapter 12 and verse 2 Now before sheer panic sets in Let me say up front that you know as well as I do There's no way Jim Merle can cover a chapter and a piece In 40 minutes or something like that 30 or 40 minutes I admit that But we're only actually going to be covering 6 verses We're going to look at chapter 10, 38 We're going to look at chapter 11, 1 and 2 we're going to look at chapter 11, verse 6, and we're going to look at chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. So that's the six verses, basically, if I counted that out right, where we're going to be. But let's start out here in chapter 10, in verse number 38. We'll be very familiar with this. Here's what the Scripture says plainly. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul have no pleasure in him. How many times in your life have you studied the Scripture... Looked into it and somewhere in the scripture found that phrase precisely and exactly written, The just shall live by faith. I know that if you examine your text as many times as you have as Bible students, you've seen that. You found that in several places, as a matter of fact. You found it back over in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. You found it also as well as Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. You find it in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11, and then you find it here in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38. Now whether or not you're reviewing the Old Testament passage in Habakkuk 2 and verse 4, or whether or not you're taking view of any of the New Testament passages here that I just listed, particularly this one, Hebrews 10 38, you're coming away or should be coming away with exactly and precisely the same conclusion. And that is that those that are just... Righteous, right in God's eyes, shall live by faith. Now that has nothing to do with the fact that we may live by faith, that we might live by faith, that we hopefully can live by faith, that there's a possibility that we can live by faith. It is explicit and it is clear to the fact that just shall live by faith. Now, someone like I do who seems to study his Bible often, I know that you do as well, we might thumb through that and we might hear some of the denominational world out there and what they say and say, well, wait a minute, that's exactly and precisely right. And then we might turn to that and say, well, wait a minute, hold up, there's a lot more to obedience and defining ourselves to be just in God's eyes, to be right. We might even equate to that to be saved than just having faith. Here's the honest truth about it. No, there's not. Every other thing we would take part in, every other thing we would participate in, commanded of God, whether it's hearing the gospel, believing it, which is this, being willing to repent of our sins, being willing to confess the name of Christ as our Lord, or being baptized as commanded in order to contact the blood of Jesus in order to be saved, all of that springs itself out of the idea that the just shall live by faith. Every Old Testament character, every New Testament character, and every character that's seated in this room or anywhere in the world one day who might come to know the truth of God's word, they will only and will only live by faith. Now that means a few things. One, it means that without faith we cannot live. I believe in myself, that, and many do, that as long as your heart's beating, you know, as long as blood's flowing, as long as there's some, some information going from your brain to your body, your lungs are inhaling and exhaling, then that's life. And it is to one extent. But spiritually speaking, one who is not just and who does not have faith does not live. And so we're going to examine some of that this morning. I want to do it from three different perspectives. I'll give you all three because I realize we may not get through them, but I'll give you all three of the main perspectives this morning that we're going to develop basically coming from Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, okay? The first one we're going to consider, and you mark this on down, we're going to talk about the description of faith. That's 1 and 2. That's exactly what it says, the description of faith. Sometimes when people see the text, so then faith, or see the text right here. So now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. They say, well, there's a definition. No, it's not a definition. It's a description. Number next, we're going to move from that, not only to the description of faith, but we're going to develop that a little bit farther, just expand it a little bit more and talk about the dynamic of faith. That is, what is faith? What does it do? How does it act and how should it react in our lives toward, that's a key word, toward God? And then finally we'll close, hopefully we'll get to it at least, and within a time frame that's acceptable, we're going to talk then about the destination of faith. Where must faith carry us? Where must we land or end in the end, obviously with God, Concerning our faith. So let's notice the first part of that. The description of faith. It is verse 11 chapter 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. And the evidence of things not seen. We've heard that over and over again. We've understood it. We've heard it. But the key in understanding it. For me at least. Is, is the fact that you have to see this verse. As basically a mathematical equation. Faith is substance. Substance. Added to or set beside evidence. That brings confidence, which is faith. To define the word faith, we might define that or redefine that by saying, well, faith means to believe, yes, but more. Well, faith means to rely on someone, have confidence in someone, yes, but much more. Faith means to trust someone or something, yes, but more than that. Faith means to to have an, a, a mental capability to see the things that are in front of you and to understand them and to comprehend them, yes, but a little more than that. Faith is described here as exactly what the Scripture says. That is, it is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence key to this is the things that are not seen. The word substance here we discussed many times, others have as well, and we understand it as Bible students, it means what stands under. It means what lays beneath, what allows us to have a level, just a level of the confidence we ultimately need to have. When someone walks out upon a, a floor like we're in here today, I happen to know that underneath this floor there's at least a crawl space, and the back here is at least a basement. There's always the potential and the possibility that that substance, that subfloor will not hold. You and I come into the building today, however, because we know through what we have seen in experience that there's a real potential that it does hold and it will hold. So 195 people gather here today because they determined in their mind that this floor will hold us. However, this here says that it is the faith that it is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Let's break down the word hope just a little bit because a substance is what is hoped for. The word hope, my biblical definition of it, it may be different than yours is, hope is a rocked rib assurance based on the promises of God. You don't find that in Webster's, but hope is a rock rib assurance that is based on the promises of God. You go throughout your testaments, you turn, you flip, you turn, and you keep finding over and over again that word for hope. Every time you see it, the idea is they're not just I hope or I have a desire or I have a wish or I have a want or I have a dream. It is actually the idea that I have an absolute fixated confidence in God that he will deliver. Wherever hope is, in this testament it implies that I have a confidence in God that he will deliver. Now he says faith is the substance, it's what stands under our hope. That is our confidence in God to deliver, our promises that God has offered unto us is based on the substance that he has laid down. We're going to see more about that in verse 3, which to me is an eye opener. We'll get to it in a moment. The secondary term their faith, is the substance of things hoped for. And then it says, "is the evidence of things not seen. That's where difficulties come in. For me and for many, that's where difficulties come in because God is asking us to have faith, that is confidence, in some things that I have never seen. Most of us don't want to operate that way. If I were to by the same measure, and this is not possible, this is just for for illustrating such. If I were by the same measure, call all of us together, and we would decide, you know, we're going to meet down at the church building Sunday morning, 9, 30, 10, 30-ish. We're going to worship God, and we walk into this building this morning, and for whatever reason, the floor that we see that has carpet on it right now is invisible. You see pews, you see that they appear to be floating somewhere, and you get right there to that breaking, to that threshold between the two glass double doors, and everyone's kind of piled up. We're fellowshipping, we're doing our thing, and finally somebody flips on the lights, and everybody says, Well, we're going in, the lights are on, and the first one that goes to take a step says, Oh, no, I'm not going there. I can't see the floor. And somebody else behind you says, well, i tell you what you need to do. You need to believe there is a floor. And they say, but I can't see it. And somebody behind you says, well, if you just had more faith, you'd step out on that floor. And they said, I ain't stepping nowhere that I can't see. And somebody behind you says, well, i tell you what, just give it enough time. Just give it time and give it all the opportunity it needs and eventually you'll take a step and eventually somehow the floor that we don't see will hold you up. And you can go on and on with the supposed uh, evidence that someone has as to why we would step out on the floor. What is the difference between us stepping on an invisible floor and stepping on an invisible God? In a literal sense, none. In a spiritual sense, none. Everything God allows us to have evidence, even be it many of those pieces of evidence and things that we have not yet seen, but because it is faith, we do see. You see, he asked us to have faith. He says, now faith is the substance which stands under the hope or our confidence, and it is the evidence of things not seen. Now, I've sat down with many people through the years, a few people through the years, to try to study the Bible, and I've realized that if you sat down with someone, and the first thing they say out of their mouth, you say, I'd like to study the Bible. you And you lay your Bible down, and they say, I don't believe that. You might as well just close it up for now. Because you can say, well, that you know the Bible says God I don't believe that. Well, the Bible shows us here clearly that God in, in, I don't believe that. Well, if you'll think about it, then then right over here, have you seen this text? I don't believe that book. And finally somebody throws up their hands and they say, Look, you're gonna have to prove, they're pointing at us, you're gonna have to prove to me that there is a God. Have you ever been put in that position? There are people who call themselves apologists. Now, they're not apologizing for anything. They're apologists. They're defenders of truth. And oftentimes in that case, defenders of God's word who are skilled in doing that who can take and say, well, look at the gnat's eyelash on this certain animal over in here and look at the way they are and look at the way that is so uh, evidently and wonderfully made. Only God could have created that. And we try to draw within the conclusions and and say, well, you know, if if it's this complicated, if it's built in this way, there had to be a divine creator. Is that true? Yes, it is. But at the end of the day, if someone doesn't, have, doesn't get to a place of saying, well, you know what, I'm just going to trust God. I'm just going to have faith that He is real. They'll never have anything with Him. If they're looking through the rest of their lives for the next moment of proof and truth, they're not going to find it, and I'm willing to admit that. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. And it's the evidence of things not seen. And if there's one of those pieces missing, you don't have A plus B equaling C. You do not have faith that it's being seen confidence added together or made out by the equation of substance versus the evidence. Especially when the substance is based on hope and the evidence is based on the unseen. So if I'm asked, can you prove to me there is a God, the better question to ask in that moment is, can you prove to me there is not? Because I know there is. That is faith. Someone says, well, faith, you know, faith is a blind leap into the dark. No, ma'am. No, it's not. No, sir. Faith is a cautious step into the light. That's what it is. Number next. That very quickly was a description of faith here in the scripture, but notice the next part. What about the dynamic of faith? Read verse 1 with me, and let's read down just a bit. Chapter 11, Hebrews. He says here, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The next <laughs> phrase is big to me. For by it, by what? By faith. The elders obtained a good report. Now, what does that mean? The elders obtained a good report. They got all A's on their report. No. By it, by faith, they obtained a good report that God was real. They used their faith to determine that God was real. Did they step up in front of God one day and see Him seated on His throne and say, Well, there He is. I saw Him. No. Matter of fact, Scripture has taught us, albeit there's some... Other things to really understand, I don't have time to get into, but Scripture has taught us fairly clearly in John chapter 1 and verse 18, no man has seen God at any time. No man, for example, in addition to that, saw God in his creation when he did it. Faith says he did. Next verse, verse 3. Through faith, we understand the worlds were framed By the Word of God. That's that illustration. How do you know? How would I know? How would anyone outside know that the world was made by God other than F A I T H? That's it. Now we have the record, we have in our sense the evidence. We have obviously the creation itself, which gives some tribute, which gives some uh, evidence of the fact that it was created. But at the end of the day, when we go home and shut the door and turn off the lights, all we have is faith that God did do it. And here's the dynamics of it. Verse 3, that first part of it, by faith we understand the world's Were made, that they were framed by God, and the things that are seen were not made of the things that do appear. In essence, the first way you can see the dynamic of faith, I would at least call it the idea that it requires spiritual wisdom. The word that's chosen here by inspiration, we read it as understand, King James speak, but the word that's chosen here for understanding in verse 3 is a word that means to take knowledge and to use it. Somebody says, well, I, I take the fact that God himself created the heavens and the earth. I take that based upon the fact that he said he did. And I don't, I, I, even though I don't have other proof necessarily, I see it in that and I take that at face value. That's faith. But I don't just know it. I understand it. That's spiritual wisdom. That's the first key. True biblical faith will result in an understanding or a spiritual wisdom from God. That's verse 3. Verse 6, the next very familiar verse. We're moving quickly now. Verse 6 goes on and as to it, and we could quote it together if we chose, but without faith it is impossible to please him. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he, that is God, is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, in the first place, verse 3, because we understand we have a level of spiritual wisdom that's only found in faith. Number two, because we have understood, when you move into what's being described in verse 6, you understand it also requires our spiritual worship. That's a requirement. It said, without faith it is impossible to please Him. How do we please God? What can I do in life that actually pleases God other than praise Him? Now oftentimes I'm guilty as anyone of limiting that to a few hours a week, most of which fall on a Sunday where I think to myself, well, we're going to go at 9.30 and 10.30 and 1.30 and then Wednesday night we'll gather back for a Bible class and a period of what you might call, you know, between the song service and the prayers, a portion of the worship that we do. And I might label that and say, well, there's the time when I worship God. I like what Cliff said. He probably said this 25 years ago. I probably heard him say it 15 years ago. I thought it was a really good way of slowing things down to describe worship as the worth of God. Without faith. It is impossible to please Him. God is only pleased with faith. Next level. This dynamic. Not only does it, take part in or require to some extent the spiritual understanding or spiritual wisdom it requires a spiritual worship but look at this it also requires us understanding the spiritual wealth that he gives but without faith verse 6 it is impossible to please him but he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him you ever gotten a reward for anything in your life I tried a few times. Sometimes it failed, sometimes it didn't. You know, every kid, at least I did, maybe, maybe you weren't normal. Most of you were because we're all near the same age. But most children, when they go through a parking lot at the grocery store or Walmart or whatever, if they stumble across a piece of money, whether it's a dollar or $20, today it's probably more than that, but in my day you'd be lucky if it's three cents. But when you find the money and you pick it up, what's the first instinct of a child? Now what often happens to that child They go to get in the back seat And they're acting kind of funny And mama or daddy said What do you got Well I no, No what do you have Well Give that back Where'd you get that Take it back in the store I don't want to. They might give you a reward for that. And sometimes, rarely, there may be a small reward. Is the reward ever greater than what you found? That'd be silly. In this case, by having faith in God and allowing it to even be possible to please Him, He becomes the great rewarder of us all. It doesn't matter what I find in life. It doesn't matter what I stumble upon. It doesn't matter what I might finally, finally stand before God and say, Look, God, look what I got. He said, I'll give you better. But look at the value I found in my life. Look at all what I've accomplished. Look at my career. Look at my bank account. Look at my wife. Look at my family. Look at at the friends I have. Look at all. I don't care. I can give you more than that, because I, God, am the rewarder of them, that. Here's the key, though. There's always a kicker that diligently seek him. Now, I've always emphasized in my mind the phrase diligently seek. The real key to the whole thing is him. Him. You remember what Jesus said toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Very familiar verse to us, Matthew 6 and verse 33. But what? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What's the reward in that verse? And all these things shall be added unto you. This says the same thing. But in this, the method of exchange is that God rewards those who diligently seek him and who do so by faith. By looking at God and saying, God, I believe you and I trust you. And if there's some things I don't see and some things I don't understand, if you said it, good enough. That's the spiritual reward. Last place. Not only do we have this description that's implied here, faith in its description, do we have its dynamic, but what about its destination? What's the end result? You're in verse 6 of chapter 11. Just turn over to chapter 12. I promised you would be in six different verses, three different places. This is the last. That's comfort, I guess. But the last part of it, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 12 1 and 2. Now keep in mind that the book of Hebrews and all that it's intended to do is to basically show that Jesus is greater than all things. Chapter 1 through 13, each of them from one perspective and another upon it proves and emphasizes the fact that Jesus is greater than all. But interestingly enough, the greatest list of characters ever assembled to be given the highest honor that anyone could ever receive as far as human-wise are carried together or brought together in chapter 11. And of those characters, whether or not you're starting out in the beginning with Abel or you're going on with Noah or you're going in the farther than that, you're getting down to Moses or Abraham and then Moses and then David and then Jephthah and Barak and Rahab and, and all those characters listed in what we call loosely Faith's Hall of Fame, all of those characters there are now assembled by the time you get to chapter 12. The list is done. The body of the work of this Hall of Fame loosely is put together. And then in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, wherefore, meaning because of what we've read, and really this goes all the way back. If you really want to study this, it goes back into chapter 11, but more so back into chapter 10 and verse 32, where you start learning that these people were struggling. These people were hurting, and every one of those characters, including the ones named and the unnamed, went through some terrible, awful, horrible things and still focused on God, still fixed their heart on Him. Wherefore, verse 12, chapter, or verse 1, chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us last at every weight, and the sin that so easily beset us, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and was set down on the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, I know I didn't include the verse, but we have to read it. For consider him that endured such contradiction as as the sinners against him, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. And that's kind of the conclusion of chapter 10, verse 32, through chapter 12 and verse 3. Section shifts in verse 4. What's being said. This describes to us our destination of faith. But let me give you five things, and these will be a little bit longer. Be more than one word. Let me give you five things that this, these verses to me clearly teach that allow us to make it to our ultimate destination by our faith. Here's the first one. Number one, we make it through this life by our faith and through faith the just to remember shall live by such because we are motivated by the saints around us. First key. We are motivated by the saints around us. He said, wherefore... In this case here, wherefore seeing that you are so compassed about with a greater cloud of witness. Now that's in a great great contrast to what was said back up in chapter 11, that this is based on the unseen. Meaning we may not see every incremental thing of God and may not comprehend and understand every incremental thing of God, but faith has led us to this point. And then when faith brings us to this point, thanks be to God, there's a group of people, in a sense, pictured as sitting up in the stands, the cloud of witnesses, as we're competing in the race of life, looking unto Jesus, verse 2, as we do that, these people are cheering us on. You've got men in the stands, just for an example, you've got men in the stands like the first one named Abel. And Abel looks down from the stands and referencing Cain and Abel and their sacrifices and how God accepted one and not the other. And Abel says, I tell you what, if you'll give God what he wants, he will be pleased. And you say, well, I'm not sure. You know, it's hard to give God what he wants, especially hard to give God everything. He said, just do it. Just do it. Just give God what he wants and he will be pleased. Fast forward a bit. You get down to another well-known character like Noah. And you're standing there in the field of competition or whatever, leaning, leaning toward Jesus, going toward Him. And you say, you know what, life is just frustrating. It seems everywhere I turn, no matter where I go, I'm the only one trying to go to heaven. I'm the only one trying to do the will of God. I mean, you look at all my coworkers, you look at my classmates, you look at the people in the community, uh, half those folks, uh, they're flat, you know, nearby heathens. And it's hard to live in this life. And I don't know how in the world I'm going to do it. Noah says, I tell you what you can. And he reminds you, he said, I stood with my family. Myself and my family. Eight of us in total. And half of those didn't care. And I left that place with my wife and my daughters. And that's all I ever had. And I can tell you about the decades that my children came home from school and said, Daddy, I want to do this. And I said, you can't do that. And they said, but Daddy, everybody else is doing it. And with a tear in my eye, I had to say, you're right, child. But you not. No one knows what living a hard life's all about. Abraham. Somebody says, I can't imagine facing uh, the career change or the, the move that we've got to make or the changes that are occurring in my family. I don't know how it's going to be, you know, life without my grandma or, or, or whatever it is, or I don't know how it's going to be now that my husband left and things are tough and things are hard. And Abraham says, I remember days like that. I remember the time when things were going well and I had everything and God said, get your stuff and get out. And I said, where are we going, God? He said, I ain't telling you going anyway. He's cheering us on. Go through the list for yourself. Number one, motivated by the saints around us. Number two, it's in the same text. Wherefore, seeing we are so compassed about with such a great cloud of witness. Next phrase here. Let us lay aside every weight. How can faith carry me to my destination? Well, it won't unless I lay aside every weight. That is to be, number two, separated, separated from the surplus upon us. Lay aside every weight. Anyone in an athletic competition, especially one where there's a speed or a time or whatever involved, I have no idea about this, but I've seen people do it. They try to lighten the load as much as they can. I've heard people read through this. I'm guilty. Got the card to prove it. Who read through this and say, Well, you need to lay aside every weight. You know, that that weight, that's the sin that besets you. No, no, no. There's a break right there, actually. The weight that's being laid aside here in the first half of this are not the sins of our lives. They got to get gone. But in this, he says, Lay aside every weight. And that's a unit within itself. The implication is lay aside the trash. Lay aside the garbage. Lay aside the wasted time. Lay aside the countless hours that we spend, uh, you know, doing, reminds me doing this. Lay aside the time that we spend doing nothing that matters before God. Sometimes you have to let loose some baggage. It's the weight that holds us down. Somebody says, well, I'm running toward the Lord. I'm, I'm doing exactly what I'm, I'm trying to accomplish this. Yeah, but you're so tired. You're so wearied. You're so overborne. You've got to lose the surplus. Number next. This is the next phrase. Wherefore, seeing we are so compassed about with such great a crowd of witnesses, let us last at every weight. Now the phrase, and, that's not or, and the sin which does so easily, key word to me is beset us. The idea here comes in, there's your next principle. Liberate yourself from the snares beneath you liberate ourselves from the snares beneath us the word beset right here literally pictures and that's why i chose that word other than it had a an s, and i wanted everything to line up uh, but i choose that word snares because that's the literal meaning of beset it's the idea that you've gotten all the weight you've gotten all the baggage all the useless stuff off the only thing still hanging on is the sins Of our lives and we've got to break free of those, but every time it seems we try to break free of those, we take a step and another snare grabs. Rick, a snare grabbed you yesterday. Bite grabbed me this morning, so I'm not making fun of you. Inside joke, but sometimes things catch you off guard. And in this case the truth is sin will do that every single time. It's never announced, never expected. Never would we say, well, that one will get me. No, that one will be the one that won't get me. Oh, there you go, right on the face. That's the next principle. Lay aside every weight and the sins which so easily beset or ensnare us. Number four, is this part perhaps? Next phrase. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Number next, be activated by the race before us. Activated by the race before us. There has to be within us, within every one of us, a certain level and a certain amount of personal drive that it takes to complete any task. You ever been one of those people? I'm, I'm one sometimes, not all the time. But you ever been one of those people that if you've got something that's really, really tough, really, really challenging, really is going to take a lot of effort, then you can kind of, you, you can talk yourself into, and you can motivate yourself, you can get up and in the, in the morning you can get that done. But you take something that seems so simple and so easy, and you never get around to it. We've got a bottle of shampoo in our shower. First day we bought it. It's got a pump head on it. First day we bought it. Maya bumped it, knocked it off, broke the pump off of it. You know what I said real quick? I said, don't worry about it. We got an old bottle of shampoo at the other end of the house. I'll pull the top out of that and I'll screw it in. We'll fix that. That's three weeks ago. <laughs> it's so simple. But I've got to activate. I've got to activate, be activated for the race that is set before us. How is that possible? Last one. I'll reread these for any of this you've missed. Number one, we said in this that one must be motivated by the saints around us. Number two, we made mention right here off the pages really that we must be separated from the surplus about us. Number next, we brought out the idea that we must be liberated from the snares around us or beneath us. We must in turn be activated, activated by the race before us. And the last one here, really the key. Be dedicated to the Savior above us. That's verse 2. I mentioned this a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night anyway, but it, just, it blows my mind and still does. How much time and effort and and all I've put, I don't think a drop of it being wasted, but put into trying to examine and study and dig into all the characters of Hebrews 11 and go back to the Old Testament and find out about those accounts and what they did and what they experienced and bring that back over. It's very good, absolutely necessary. When the whole thing seems to come down to that, verse 2. Look to Jesus. It lines itself up in the first statement, chapter 10 and verse 38. The just shall live by faith. What is faith? It's described as a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. What good is that? Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But what if life gets hard? What if I get frustrated? Wherefore, seeing we're so compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How can I do that? What's the goal? Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, despising the shame, endured the cross to sit down on the right hand of the throne of God. The just shall live by faith. If you're here this morning and you're not a person, I don't want to use a term that would be misunderstood, but it's the only way to describe it. If you're not a person of faith, that, that sounds very loose and sounds very way out there. If I'm not a person of faith, that means every fiber of my being is centered around the fact that I will trust God in every situation. If I'm not that, I've got a long way to go. But with that as a foundation, that faith can develop into what we referred to earlier as the willingness being willing to repent of my sins. Turn my life, my back, my back on the life of this past to turn toward God. That's what chapter 12, 2 wants us to do. Being willing to repent, being willing to confess His name. You know, it's interesting here that even though there's not a specific confession, the whole entire book does it. And I don't mean by that only Hebrews, the entire book. I've got the New Testament, the Olds here in a pew somewhere too as well. The whole entire book confesses His name being in turn willing to be baptized because he commanded it of us to receive forgiveness of our sins, that is remission by the blood of Christ available today. Most people today in this room, I know by looking at your faces and knowing your lives to that extent, most of us have done many of those things in the past. But sit here, having doubt, having worry, having concerns, having frustrations, being disobedient, downtrodden, depressed. At times, what is the issue? We're not alive. Because the just shall live by faith. The invitation is open while together we stand and as we sing.